has life been for you? It's been good. I, uh, settling into the U.S. Uh, they've kind of put me in a position where it's time to immigrate. It's time to become a resident. Um, they don't want me traveling on a tourist visa anymore. So, okay. um, it's all good though. It was, it was time to do that. Um, my wife, she's American, I'm Canadian. So it was always a worry, you know, every time going across, going into secondary, you know, Oh, are they going to let me through? Are they going to let her through on, on the Canadian border? So, um, this will alleviate some of that mess. Was it due to the pandemic? That's when you kind of decided, okay, this is time. Um, no, no, actually during the pandemic, um, things got backed up so much that it would, it would have taken like a, a year and a half to apply for residency in either country. Um, and then you get locked down into that country. So like me, I can't leave the U S right now, uh, until I get what they call advanced parole. Once I get that, then I'm, I can travel again. Um, no, it just, you know, border guards, it was, that was this flavor this time coming across. So, uh, that's what I got. So when you become a, an American citizen, you can keep your your Canadian one as well, right? So, or do you have to give that up? Well, it, so it starts with residency. So you got to become a permanent resident for, I think it's like three to five years, something like that. Um, because Jess and I have been married so long, I have the option of keeping my residency for 10 years and then making the decision to become a citizen. Um, and I think at that point, I have to relinquish my Canadian citizenship. As a permanent resident, I don't. You don't, okay. Yeah. And, and where are you located right now? Uh, in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, down in, uh, I was in Phoenix, I had a house there. And then we sold that in February, made some life decisions, uh, took some time apart, and then we uh, settled on Austin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's uh, a great place. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool town for sure. There's, uh, it's got an interesting mixture, an interesting vibe, you know? I, I can't remember if they say it's like a, a red dot in a blue state or a blue dot in a red state, you know? I can't remember how their Democrat-Republican yes. things were, but it creates an odd, not odd, um, a unique atmosphere you know, and, um, they've really done a good job of bringing kind of the, the seventies architecture and stuff like that into this oh, hipster era or something like that. I don't, I don't really know like craft era, you know, and, uh, it's, it's a pretty cool town. Yeah. I think I was there in June for the first time, first time in Texas and wow, just an experience. I mean, the, the vibe, the culture, uh, it's, it's like you said it's like the old with the new yeah yeah and when i think that um what speaks to the area it speaks to a lot of texas too you know a lot of texas is pretty traditional but um you know it's moving forward it's open um mm -hmm. and it, it, there's some places i go i, I kind of feel like am i kind of in a street in new orleans you know like it has I, it's like what's going on here where am i you know the big modern city like it, it yeah, it's been interesting. I've only been here for uh, about three weeks, though. So, oh, um, wow. Yeah, it's 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 brand new. Um, just settling into the apartment and such. Um, it's a yeah. good for business, though, with you know special forces experience. SFE. Um, so we did have an American cereal, and we did have a Canadian cereal, or we do have a Canadian cereal. We've decided to actually cancel the American one. Um, the future of where we're going with our business, we have a program called Citizen Green, 
which will be for soldiers, for veterans um, who are transitioning. Um, my either about to transition out of the military, transitioning out of the military, or have retired. Um, and that will eventually bring that program down to the U.S. And that'll be really great for business because, I mean, just you multiply everything by like <laughs> 100 down here compared mm -hmm. to Canada, right? Uh, just with extra population, amount of money that moves around, all that. So it's in that way, it'll be excellent. Um, and, and I mean, the U.S. is the land of business, right? So sure. um, well, it's like larger than Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I... I I said a hundred, but yeah, anything's like tenfold more. Um, and then their military, because we'll be working with veterans, is more than tenfold bigger. So, um, yeah, we found a pretty clever way to um, monetize. Monetize, yeah. And on a side note, so serial '06 and '07 are coming up. Once they're done, are you going to continue that? program still or is that going to fade away slowly and you're just going to focus on citizen green yeah so we just made the decision this week to um cancel the american serial six for the process okay call the next one in canada serial six and we're going to do one more um the last serial will be serial seven we're quite fond of the number seven um but it's just time to expand our business um and it kind of creates this really cool effect because the process um is a super unique experience. We're the only people who do what we call intentionally facilitate post-traumatic growth. So post-traumatic growth is the positive benefits of going through something traumatic or stressful or struggling or strife or so, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, suffering. When you catalyze that into a positive change, whether it's connection to your environment, connection to yourself, um, a, a higher sense of love and belonging of, um, not like feelings of euphoria, but what they call love state emotions, as opposed to fear-based constricted emotions. Um, and yeah, and with the process, it's a four phase program that we use to induce that. And it's kind of an interesting thing to watch because you're literally squishing the old ego through the singularity of itself into the next version of someone else. And that that process can be extremely painful when you shed the skin of your identity and become more yourself. It, it, it can be quite painful. There's a lot of like fallout, even like atomic energies from your brain. Um, as your neurons reconfigure, um, it's very powerful energies and it can be like extremely explosive in a positive way, extremely explosive in a, what we would call like a negative impact where you move towards ill coping. Um, because life's like that, right? It's an up and down um, wave that you ride. And what we do with the program is we induce that state and give them tools before and after in order to, um, like, wow, I would say almost exponentially um, give them the conditions to allow for this to happen, uh, which in essence, growth is the expansion of consciousness, the the your ability, your, your awareness of how you fit in your world, how you move through your world, how you interact with everything, whether it's a microphone or like you and I in communication or someone else in person or the long-term impacts of every motion I make. That's, that's the path towards enlightenment. Um, and we, like I said, intentionally induce this 
and it's quite exciting. We've learned a ton. Um, and it's just come to the point now where we just decided, you know, you know what, we're going to run seven of these. And what's cool about that, Zach, is it'll only ever be the few it's, it's only this program's for men. It's not that it's inclusive. It's not inclusive of females. It's just men have different biology, different physiology, different needs than women. And it's specifically tailored for men, uh, men in the modern world, more specifically, you know, we deal, we're dealing with all these funny little things that are happening, right? Uh, our world is changing so quickly and, um, how we fit into it is, um, well, it can be confusing at times. You know, we have all these old processes that run through us that make us, excellent problem solving machines, you know, we're excellent survival machines, but nowadays it's like, okay, well, where do I use this energy? How do I use this energy? What's appropriate now? Right. Um, as we evolve as a collective species and after serial seven, that'll be it. Maybe I'm guessing maybe 20 people in history will have gone through this program that has a lower, the, the phase three portion of it. Cause like I mentioned, it's four phases the phase three, eight day portion, which is in the wilderness will have a lower, um, I don't want to say success rate as in, if you don't make it through it's failure, cause it's not that at all, wherever someone makes it, no matter how deep into that portion of the program, they make it, they get something, they meet a wall that forces them either to grow on the spot to overcome it or what we call resolve and dissolve once they begin their decompression. Um, and I, I love the idea of only, you know, being part of a group of say 20 people in history that have ever finished something. You know what I mean? No one else will ever go through this program again. Um, and it is that unique. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyways, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's, that's moving to the side. Is, is that uh, more or less physical adversity that they're facing or that again, translates to mental adversity that they have to face? Well, yeah, you, you touch on it, right? My physiology and my mind, they don't really stop and begin, right? My physiology is part of my mind and vice versa. Um, I would say with great confidence now that it is a physical challenge, yes. It will challenge your, when people say mentally challenged, I think what they're really saying is it's challenging their ego. So their ego is what is built on implicit biases, the loops that run through your mind that help you navigate the world day to day so that, you know, you, you could imagine, like you've probably seen in a movie or something, if you woke up every day and you had to make new sense of your reality, even just your bedroom, like, where am I? What is this? What is this? Is this a bed? You know, like, so we run these programming loops that help modulate our attention. Um, and when that runs up against something, that's where real mental resilience is tested. So you have your comfort zone that you sit within, you know, and you can be in an insecure state or a secure state. Um, and we push it right to the limit of that insecure state where, your neural anatomy is actually in the unknown. It's not ever been there before. Even visual, like, you know, visualizing, very powerful tool. Um, so it's not even been there before. And in that, it's highly, highly mentally challenging. But then we start moving into what we'll call the spiritual challenge of it, where you know, yeah, my muscles and bones are tested. Yeah, my construction of reality and how I walk through it is tested. But then you go outside of that even more like how I interact with the universe around me, other people, how I fit into it, where do I feel in balance gets mm -hmm. hyper challenged. And um, 
just like Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, right? When you descend into the underworld, the underworld of your mind, the underworld of the environment around you, that's where you can find great elixirs. That's where you find, uh, you know, the true alchemical reactions of the universe, uh, which are really, you know, deeply about yourself. And when I say self, I'm alluding to kind of Greek psyche, which is your soul, the underpinning of who you are, you know, as you quiet certain parts of yourself or challenge certain parts of yourself, um, you start to step closer to who you are, you know, that, that, that kind of mm. that path of what you are and, and yeah. Okay. Maybe it's, it's, I, I align more with how my DNA would want me programmed. You know, I, I don't know. Um, I definitely know that, um, it, it does happen. There's, there's, if you look at ancient wisdom, human beings have been wrestling with this idea of consciousness, you know, unconsciousness, since we became aware or conscious, right? Since since we bit the apple in the garden of Eden, so to speak, people have been like, what is going on? You know, what is this thing? And why do I feel, you know, low? Why do I suffer? Why do I feel risk or insecurity? And why do I feel these reward mechanisms? And how do I use one to move to the other state? And um call that uh, I, I like a there's a scientist he's passed now or not a scientist is a psychologist and uh he uses what he, it's the hawking scale his name's david hawkings not not stephen hawkings um and it's a you know the scale of consciousness mm -hmm. um you know it, it, it's debated a bit because he uses applied kinesiology to he used applied kinesiology to determine the numbers but we can't argue with a fear state which includes you know uh uh, guilt, shame, apathy, mm -hmm. desire, pride, anger, fear, you know, those are fear-based emotions. And then the other side, not as if it's like one versus the other, it's the range of human emotions. You have things like neutrality and awareness and understanding and acceptance and peace, joy, love, and eventually enlightenment. Mm -hmm. um, what's kind of interesting about them is if you go too far down into one, your physical body dies if you go too high into the other one, your ego body dies. But what's really cool about that is you return to undifferentiated consciousness in either one. Um, anyhow, sorry, I know I went on a bunch of tangents there, but no, that's what sure. we do. We, we, for the candidates of the process, we're having them explore the range of that right. human experience, those emotions. Is this only for veterans or can a regular civilian sign up for serial six or seven? Uh, for serial six and seven, it is actually mostly geared towards civilians. Um, that's that's what the program is. Uh, I took my my learnings, my teachings, the things I went through in the military, and then into JTF two, which is Canada's tier one option. Mm -hmm. um, and I molded them. We we did research, my partners and I, um, especially my wife Jess, and we started to craft it specifically for civilian men in this era. Um, and it's, we, we drew from ancient wisdoms, you know, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of wisdom and myth and, uh, history, you know, mm -hmm. and then we're at this beautiful time of kind of the citizen scientists, right. Where I can go on Google and there's like so much there, you know, and, and, and cause of guys like yourself sharing knowledge, um, information overload, it's out there. Well, yeah, we were just talking about that this morning. We're, we're doing a documentary uh, mm -hmm. called, uh either the dark night of our soul or the art of adversity um, or simply titled post-traumatic growth. We're in that phase of like discussing titles. Mm -hmm. um, 
but we were talking about who we're targeting and we were talking about generation alpha, which is kind of this born in the 21st century, you know, purely in the digital age and how like the world shows up for them, how much there is, right. Um, how they're able to absorb that, that, the TikTok speed of things, right. Um, versus like someone like me who I was before cell phones and then, then when we transition into it and it's like, like you said, it's like, Whoa, my hair is on fire. I got to put some of this aside. Um, because there is so much information. And, um, I think if you live from information, you really nurture the, the left hemisphere of your brain, the linear aspect, and you kind of rob yourself a bit from the gestalt, the completeness of the human experience, which um, reality isn't linear. The universe doesn't create in lines. It's always paradoxical, right? You go to a black hole, it becomes a paradox. You go down to the quantum energies, it's paradoxical. And you watch everything. It's a push and a pull. It's like, so, so is the human experience, right? I can feel up, I can feel down. Um, I think reality is neutral. It's, it's what we create. What are your thoughts on that? So when you say neutral, do you mean that the environment around you doesn't actually try to influence you in any way or? Well, the world in general, it's neutral. It, it can try to influence us. It's up to us as individuals to decide what we allow and what we don't allow. And oftentimes we allow a lot in and we don't know how to filter and siphon what is important to us and what's not. And then there's almost like this paralysis that comes along where we as humans now lose that creative side, understanding who we are. Yeah. So I, I, a couple things pop into my mind when you say that, cause that's, that's a fascinating question, right? That's, I think all questions eventually kind of start to explore that realm of that. Um, yeah. Perception is huge. How we make sense of our reality is huge. Um, I, I do tend towards something that's called complexity theory. And what that is, is the universe, whether you believe in God or cause and effect, or, you know, just big bang, whatever it is you, you, you hold on to, it's impossible to argue that the universe is becoming more complex. So if you look at ordered structure, you have, you know, quantum units of energy, quantum units of matter. And that builds up to subatomic particles, to molecule or to atoms, to particles, molecules, molecules eventually give way to cellular level organization and so on until you got us, you know, and I'm not saying we're the most complex creatures in the universe, but we know we're the most complex around right now. Mm -hmm. And not only if you take us, we don't sit secluded in our environment. Like even just look at my environment right here. I have this, this complex device that just technology, you know, I have my exchange with oxygen and water, like it's complex, but it works really, really well. And the tendency seems to be towards complexity. It's like the universe wants that to happen. Is it, is there like a hand of God or Allah, you know, is someone pressing that who knows, right? If you watch like a nebula form stars, is it purely just cause and effect chance? Or is there like a gentle wind every now and then that creates an impact that starts the star formation? Where I think it changes is humans can convolute their environment and that gets to be very stressful. So like the concept of simplifying and not allowing that environment to impact how you feel, right? To shift your moods and things like that, because 
And the way attention is modulated, it all goes in. I could do some extra demonstrations if we were in person to show that um, it's all going in. But what we focus on is narrow, right? That we There's just no way we could absorb the billions of bits of information that are happening all the time and try to make sense of them. That's where implicit bias comes in. Um, even though I see you here and I'm not really getting what's on my periphery, my mind is actually filtering that. And because of my belief systems, how I've patterned my mind, it's choosing what to pick up, what not to pick up on top of risk reward systems like fight or flight, right? If the bus comes out of here, it would be weird in my living room, but if it came out here, my body's going to react to it. And I think that's where it gets really tricky, where um, it's hard not to notice a dump truck driving down the street, right? When it rips by and it's loud, it's very hard for your, your sense of sound in that case to not be hijacked. And in that convolution, I think we mucky up the waters. And I do believe we're in this state of pressuring humans on a way that most don't really understand yet. And I could go down to the epigenetic level, for example. So we talked about DNA a little, like super quickly. On your DNA, um, so your epigenetics is your relationship between your DNA and the environment, in essence. Mm -hmm. So what happens is your DNA sits in a little ball inside all of its cells and so on. And pressures from your environment actually can cue and change how your DNA genetics fire on and off. So like I said, it's in a ball. One of the things it can do if you live in a, if you're in a more constricted environment where you have, um, we'll call them unhealthier inputs, bad food, bad water. And I, it doesn't have to be that far off, right? Just right. out of the norm for your body to process, it'll start to constrict things. And then what it'll do is there's methylations that happen. And those control elements dictate the firing of those amino acids off of those genes. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's no mind over matter. Your mind is very, very powerful and it can change things in a fantastic way, fantastic ways. But there's a certain level, you know what I mean? If I take a knife and I slice your arm, your mind, you know, you could toughen up that skin with training and stuff, but there's a certain point where your environment can impact you. Um, and I think that's the paradoxical nature of reality, that it's always, when we're discussing human truth, it's always both, you know, it, it's, you're right. There is a certain level mm -hmm. and it's massive of mind over matter, but then there's also this other level where it's the complete reverse. And, and with the process, for example, we show this all the time. We, we do things that push people to a place where, you know, how, how's the saying go, uh, you know, mind over matter. Yeah, that's right. You know, the, the situation doesn't mind and you don't matter, you know, because the environment's going to do things to you as you go. So I, I, I know it's, it can seem like a cop out to say, oh yeah, it's both, you know, both end even, you know, but it seems that when it comes to truth, that's where it's at right now. And um, even science has reached those limits of like, oh God, you know, we went from two-dimensional thinking to three-dimensional to four-dimensional, you know, Euclidean geometry to non-Euclidean and then now relativity. Quantum. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And now we're in this quiet and, it, and it's showing that it's like, okay, or, you know, it gets a little tricky though, when we discuss it, because we use the left brain mostly for our language and it's, it's mostly dualistic, you know, even though we have words like paradox and such, it's truly not it's very difficult to describe the abstract. You know, I use my hands more than I even actually use words, right? We use imagery more than we can use point form words. And then, um, so yeah, it, it, I love that discussion though. 
There's some things words can't describe in life. Feelings. You can say certain things, but there's, it's, you can't, it's energy. It's, it's between us that no one can hear or see. Yeah. It's the subtle cues of the universe, you know? And I, like I said, every now and then, I think there's a little poke that comes from the outside, you know? And it's like, sometimes it's, so one of the things I kind of, no, not kind of, I don't know if I fully subscribe. So Zach, I don't really do like absolutes and I completely admit that I don't know. You know what I mean? Like that's my way of saying that the universe is complex beyond what we can actually truly understand yet. Right. And, and in that, I absolutely, what you're saying is true. And and I, I kind of link it to this. There's this guy, uh, Miguel Roy, I think is his name. He's a neuroscientist. And he was saying that since about the 1400s, uh, when they do not lobotomies, but autopsies on people's brains, they've noticed that the left hemisphere is usually bigger than the right hemisphere. Hmm. Like the skull itself hasn't changed, but think of the brain like a muscle. You know, the more you use certain factors in your brain, whatever, you know, some people think there's 300, 400 different parts to the brain. You know, um, if you massage those parts, they, they, they grow, they get used, right? Because they're being used. Um, and what's interesting is around the 1400s is when the printing press was released to the world. And we really started using words on a mass scale. Mm. And we started moving away from um, metaphor and parables as part of our normal conversation um, on, on a different level, I believe anyways, you know, I wasn't around the four 1400s, so I don't know exactly. Um, but it's neat to see, um, and it is beautiful. His work's beautiful. They did stuff with like schizophrenics and stuff where they cut the corpus collapse. And it's so interesting to see how those two hemispheres create like the, a duality within us, um, that our environment right now seems to, it doesn't seem, it nurtures the left. It's like as if the left created it and now it's forcing that back into us, right? Our roads are in lines, everything's in lines and A to B. And um, we've dove heavily into to math as an absolute, you know? Um, yeah, and, and like you said, you start getting into the realm of feelings, trying to put words onto feelings like that. That discussion is thousands of years old, right? Um, but it, But it's interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. Have you always been someone that was so interested in energy in life, or did this come after your military service? Yeah, no, it started quite young. Yeah. Um, lots of people say I was born an old soul. Um, I don't really know what that means because I've not experienced a young kid as an old soul yet. Right. Um, but I, I know they're out there. Uh, and I, what I termed it at the time when I was maybe seven or eight was a quest for knowledge. That's how I, I worded it to myself. Mm. I have this, this hunger for this, this thing. And I didn't know what it was, you know what I mean? And, and I, I grew up uh, where, where we lived. I had lots of access to nature. I was very connected to nature. Um, I had a very connected family. Um, and I didn't really know what I was trying to explain. And I mostly didn't know where my energies were being met in a negative way. So for me, school was, was very difficult. Um, it felt very against my grain. In fact, I never graduated high school. Um, 
and but I couldn't explain that, right? I, I like I don't know why I should be in here. I can't explain it. I, mm -hmm. But of course, then they start like, oh, you got autism or whatever, ADHD. You know what I mean? They're trying to put these things out. And I was like, no, no, I'm just not where I'm not in a good environment for me. You know, but what am I? What are my parents going to do? You know, you got to trust the systems that are there that we have in place. That's that's what that's what we do. Um, and then that that thirst led me down some good paths some not so good paths you know because you got to explore the realm of the human experience right it, it I, that's how i felt i felt like i couldn't talk about something you know if i didn't experience it and so i intentionally began experiencing things some of them led me down not so great roads you know with drugs mm -hmm. and alcohol which led down to criminal activity mm -hmm. um but other ones led me down what we'll call those love-based emotions, you know, experiencing people and the world around me, the great beauty that sits there. And um, because like I'm a normal human, I went to my teenage years and those constrict you down, you know, and I, I, th I had this feeling like, yeah, I always wanted to be of service on top of that. And I didn't know where to be of service because I wasn't really religious. Um, I'm highly, highly spiritual, but I'm not religious, religious per se. And now as my experience looks back, um, in a lot of ways I am, I do believe in ceremony. I do believe in certain traditions, you know, to invoke mm -hmm. certain states. Um, as I learn more about it, I, I can look past where my stumbling points with it are. Anyhow, that continued. And I, I do believe it was hyper accelerated though, once I went into the tier one world, because and Jeff, Always. what is that exactly? The tier one world? Okay, so yeah, so the Americans have dubbed the term um, tier one, okay, which means a certain amount of funding from the government, first and foremost, because you can't get anything done without money. And the next thing is a certain amount of air assets. So you you have heavy lift capability, you have insertion capabilities with your own aircraft. You know, you have helicopters, uh, heavy lift aircraft, uh, things of that nature. Um, so really, there's only three units that they give that title to, and that's SEAL Team 6 um, Development Group, Dev Group, um, CAG, Combat Applications Group, which is uh, uh, Delta Force. And then JTF2, which is Canada's uh, tier one solution. And the reason I mentioned that though, is like, like anything in life, when you move up the echelon, things like competition, not necessarily against others, but against the world, you know, how it, how it interacts with you goes up. And when that ha starts to happen, you have to adapt to it, right? You have to be able to overcome it. You have to learn from it. You have to, in our case, you know, when you're fighting terrorists, you have to be able to defeat them beforehand. So when that, when I stepped into that world, now there's the government wants to make sure you're the best trained and training doesn't just mean you're, you're the best shooters. You know, it means you're great at communicating. It means you're great at understanding other people. It means you understand yourself more in order to relate on your team better. Right. Cause, um, right is now, is this a large team or is this a, a very minuscule team of group of guys yeah so the, like the unit's construct is relatively small there's only a few hundred operators you know specifics aren't shared uh, and then that's broken up into certain you know squadrons and then troops within those squadrons and then teams mm -hmm. and then 
mostly what ends up happening though is because it's such a busy unit it's like okay you over there and then you over there and okay you head here and then you over here and you over here you go do this you know what i mean it's like that's the idea though right instead of like me just being able to work on this one team you know with my personality i can go work on another team and adapt to their personalities and they can adapt to mine you know and once you start working in the realm of that level of psychology of understanding yourself and then understanding others awareness starts to blossom like crazy um it creates this interesting dynamic because it's you know your most kinetic solution unit which you know very dynamic very uh, scalpel if need be but also you have the other side of it where you're you're dealing with ambassadors and foreign diplomats you know and, and you're you're handling that what we call kind of gray roll stuff where you're not in a uniform and that's a whole different set of skills of course um and then you layer in and this is all you know really anything with an echelon corporate world doesn't mm -hmm. matter these are all very similar issues that they begin to face um, but then you got to start looking at once you look past interpersonal dynamics then you got to look at burnout you know we are human beings and our systems like i said you can train them to be extremely i mean human beings do incredible things incredible things i was just watching a documentary on this one guy i can't remember his name a brit who tried to go to the north pole multiple times you know at 65 he summited mount everest and like he just lived this life of like holy moly your body can do that right and that we have stories of that in different ways not just physically but you know um i mean just elon musk right now what he's doing with all tesla's underground space twitter <laughs> just how do you run all that that's a yeah, lot yeah yeah so so we'll put the physical aside because he's not actually physically he's mentally spiritually moving these energies around um, and we could get into the discussion of power versus force there where sure. um, if we look at some of the characters that have moved history, they've done it through the energy of power or force. Power is love-based and forced is fear-based. So like Genghis Khan, he used force. He forced his way through the steps, you know, through the Urals. He forced his way through Mongolia. He, he used violence and fear-based emotions to do that. But then you look at someone like uh, Gandhi or Nelson Mandela, um, Mother Teresa, they didn't push anyone. You know, they use a different set of emotional tools and they were able to, you know, Gandhi uh, beat the British, you know what I mean? Help move the empire out of his, his country to 1947. Yeah. You know, like same with Nelson Mandela, you know, that, that those are power based. Like, how did you make that happen without pushing people in the same kind of way there there's still you need effort and energy to output it um and in fact if you pick up i think like life magazine or something like that or time magazine you look at their people of the year you'll see that most of them know how to use force those love-based emotions they don't project from fear as much because fear when you project from fear a lot you burn out and that was my point on the burnout is if I'm constantly in a constricted state, if I'm constantly dripping cortisol and adrenaline, my nervous system will start to adapt, but it'll start to fray and it'll start to shut down my prefrontal cortex, which just adds to the loop. It'll keep me compressed more and it'll fire my amygdala more and that'll start to swell it up. You know, certain areas will start to calcify. Usually people start to do things like avoidance strategies or 
addictive strategies, you know, whether it's sex or alcohol or drugs, and then that'll compound it, you know? Um, so that opens up a whole, you know, can of worms of mindfulness that start getting used at the, like mm -hmm. in these units, right. In these sports teams, things like that, um, beyond sports psychology, you know, they start bringing in meditations and journaling. They start, um, nowadays, like with citizen green, the, the program we're going to use with military, the, the loop we have there is a blockchain research company, global compliance application corp. Um, Santa, a medical cannabis grower out of New Brunswick, the Veterans Affairs, and then us. And what we're going to do is bring in vets who use medical cannabis um, as a, a solution to PTSD. Uh, they're transitioning. Like right now, it's just given to them. And there's there's really not that much research. It's, we're going to be the ones building up the research on this. We're going to be the ones through this loop and blockchain technology yeah. with GCAC actually able to track oh you know if i have x y and z symptoms and i smoke x y and z plant that's growing in x y and z fashion it does this for me in this amount at this time you know and there's nothing out there like that no so there's a ton of research on like if i smoke this amount mm -hmm. of whatever sativa whatever the plant is these neurological functions start to happen. You know, my, my pain receptors are nulled a bit and, um, you know, maybe euphoria goes up or my appetite goes up. But if I have like liver cancer and I'm a 50 year old man yeah. and my need is, you know, rest and recovery, but also uh, appetite. And then also this, well, what do I smoke? How much do I smoke? Um, or, you know, as if it's an edible, is it better with an edible? How much the CBD THC combo? And then not to mention, um, just like a human being, because we're so variable, you know, I'm so different than you, even though we, we sit on a skeleton and we have muscles, like really our atomic mixture is very different. Oh, yeah. Um, you add in the plant, which not even though they're clones, uh, if my light growing a plant is on for an extra two minutes at 10 in the morning, that completely changes the plant completely changes how the molecular structures are in the plant. Now, is it better to have that one? If I'm the guy with the liver cancer, you know, all that research, but only it's only recently we've been able to really mm -hmm. cluster and gather this kind of data and run mm -hmm. algorithms and this will sit on blockchain. Um, so it's nice and secure for the, the veterans who are participating in it, but this way here um, it's funded indirectly by the veterans affairs, which is, um, a great opportunity for us on this venture to bring some easement into the soldiers world. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I, I dealt with PTSD mm -hmm. um, and use these methods such as plant medicines. Um, and that's what I was kind of segueing into is the absolute power of shifting your state of consciousness for performance is just starting to come online. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing the interrupt it can have on your nervous system and your epigenetics, as well as your own story. You know, the narrative you tell yourself that, you know, I wake up, oh yeah, I'm Jeff Tapati. You know, that sits really low. That's almost, they think my name is attached to my amygdala. That's really low, you know? And then I have memories that are in my hippocampus and then we work our way out 
Um, and to go down into those levels and then work out our ill coping mechanisms and the patterns that don't fit us for even performance um, is amazing. It's just starting to, yeah. to, to get some momentum um, because, well, I mean, even weeds just become legal um, in Canada, right? So mm -hmm. there, there's not a ton behind it. So no, like to answer your question, no, not not on this level of research, um, which at one point I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll feed back to the government and the medical world. It's super cool. That's the reason I was actually in Austin is because of blockchain technology. And I think it's phenomenal what can be done today. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, so, you know, right now there's some people and it's usually out of a place of ignorance, I think, but also, and well, once again, it's both right. And place of ignorance, but also slightly justified. Um, technology should be there to completely aid us. That's that's why we should create it, right? Um, and when people start getting into like, oh my 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 um, my existence sitting on blockchain as a number, me as a number right now, you know, especially as like the social media world is coming online. What's cool about where you know things like blockchain are going, they're laying this the path towards quantum computing, and that's when we'll be able to really. You know, we we're talking about this abstract view of reality. Machines will be able to, we'll be, we feel it extremely well. You know, we deny it to ourselves a lot more, I think, than people think, but computers will be able to calculate it on a whole different rate, right? Like, like we bring in all these variables, like we just talked about mm -hmm. humans, plants, uh, disease and sickness and wounds and injuries, you know, environment, temperature, like all the things that are there get very hard to linearly put onto a graph. But once you start looking at them from every angle, you know, five dimensionally, whatever, six dimensionally, um, that's where technology becomes extremely fascinating in our natural quest to grow and expand our consciousness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting when I was in Texas versus when I came back to Canada, we are so behind here in terms of this kind of technology, blockchain, NFTs, just all of that in general, the adaptability of Canada, we're so far behind. It's just really cool. I mean, they turned all of downtown Austin into this blockchain hub and NFT gallery, which is non-fungible tokens. And I just thought it was awesome art, digital art on a blockchain. I thought that was neat. I love art, so I was fascinated by that. People are worried though. They think blockchain technology um, and technology in general will replace humans, so AI. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I'll just go back and just touch on one of the things you said, like in, in Greek mythology is the myth of Sisyphus, right? Keeps trying to roll the boulder up the hill thinking, and it's kind of hand in hand with the myth of progress. Mm. Um, I think progress, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the tendency towards complexity is the way we should head. And right now, I personally feel it's a little bit um, our, to me, a lot of our systems come from old mentality, old, the pillars of our old psyche, you know, and once they adapt to how humans want to achieve progress, I think it'll be a very big game changer. Um, because like I said, just a little while ago, technology is supposed to help us. That's what it's there for, right? We shouldn't feel like we're contending with it. We should certainly not be afraid of it. Um, and that's why I think lots of it's just a place of ignorance, why people are afraid. Mm -hmm. But then there's also legitimate, like, okay, is this running away from us? Is this running away? And, you know, to the question of replacing 
people, I think it's becoming like, like vastly apparent that very quickly, we're not going to be able to do deep space travel very soon as like, as my meat sack, as my spacesuit <laughs> going, to, but robots can and lasers and things like that will be able to, and that'll help us further our intel our consciousness, right? It'll we'll put new pillars of consciousness there. Um, as far as replacing, I, I have some thoughts on it. I think, you know, when you start people who have faced death and who have incorporated what death means as a function of life, things like wanting to live forever start to dissolve. You start to really feel like one, it's almost like a selfishness of me. I should live forever. I should be able to absorb these resources forever. Just me, you know, because our planet is filling up at some point. Like we, if we keep going, it's just gonna be standing room only, you know? And so I, I think there's a little bit of that to it. I think when people are truly living, they lose that fear of death and, if they lose the fear of death, then they don't want to put themselves, their consciousness in robots so much. Um, I, I, I think, and this is just like a discussion, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't, I don't put my it's hand on it. It's not factual. This is an opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, cause it's like, I, I, I could see it the other way too, you know, like uh, people who lose limbs and stuff and you know, the, the tendency towards like a cyborg kind of set up, you know, for machines yeah. and such. As far as like Terminator 2, Judgment Day, um, I think it's already begun in some ways. Did you, know, you say like, San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. Like wow. the, the our even Google, you know, indirectly or, or directly is impacting how our brains are forming. It's impacting literally our memes, which is us passing culture on without genetics. It's impacting our view and our perspective and that's shifting the world that's going to shift the world it's already happening and that's google that's a search engine you know even though google's like got some you know we could start getting into their quantum computing and all sure. that you know their jigsaw programs things that are a little bit more designed to not manipulate but filter i'll say where you know this is a search and this is like kind of older tech now how much it impacts us let alone as we move to the deep computing. I, I don't know if you saw that doc with, uh, it was about go go is a Chinese game. Um, no, no, I haven't. So, you know, there's checkers. Yes. And then there's chess. Well, go has basically, I think it's a hundred squares by a hundred squares. Okay. Um, and it doesn't, it only has like a black and white piece. So you're either black or you're white or you're white or you're black. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a few movements within that. But like, you know, like chess, once you start calculating the probability of moves, it's, it's massive. It's like stars in the universe level. Well, go, the board is 100 by 100, um, as opposed to just 64 or whatever it is, squares for chess. It's like infinitesimal calculations. Anyhow, there is in Korea and, and some of the, the Far East, they have schools where you, that's what you do. You, you, you're raised to play go and you compete in go. And there was this one guy, a Korean guy, um, he he's the man, he's the master, you know, no one can touch him. He's, he's cool as a cucumber because he's the guy to beat. And he plays against, I believe it was Google funded the project, a computer designed to play go. And in its design, it wasn't like a video game where, um, it will play out like this. It was designed to learn how to play go. 
So on its first game, it didn't know how to play Go. And on the second one, it learned from the first game and so on and so forth. And, and like, it wasn't even that deep in. Like, I, I'm going to completely, it's not even like a quote or a paraphrase. Or I'm, I think it was around like, you know, less than 100 games anyways, it played this master. And it started off, the master thought, oh man, I'm, this guy's, yeah. what is he doing? You know, it's like so random to his, his the, the concept of how he views it. But then it started to dawn on him that this machine has absolutely owned his future since the beginning. And there's nothing he can do. And you can see it. You can see his body change. You can see his reality completely dissolving that this machine, no matter what he could do, is going to be smarter than him, at least in this way. Now, you open up whatever those algorithms are, because I don't even actually think it was quantum computing, and you allow it to learn everything like they're doing right now, and then you ask it for information, it's it's already beginning to dictate our future. Mm -hmm. And where I have a bit of a hesitancy with that personally is I like the human experience. You know, I like to feel my emotions. I want to feel love. I, I want to experience having kids. I want to go out in nature and feel it and touch it. And we're kind of dissolving those a bit right now. Um, we're, we're really unfair to nature. You know, we're like, we're marching in a direction that may not serve, may not serve the individual, the other, or you know, the, 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 the plenum, the, the earth, the planet, nature. Um, and that's where I'll circle back. If we create algorithms out of a fear-based mindset, a lower state of consciousness, those algorithms will perpetuate that. If we can create them from a higher state of consciousness, a less survival mindset, I believe they'll help usher us into the future. You've been big on branding. Where did that come from? I mean, I wouldn't picture someone coming out of the military that would know marketing and branding as well as you do. I mean, even your backdrop right now, it's aesthetic. You have an eye for certain things. Yeah. Um, I guess I'd start by saying, uh, just like everybody else, there is no eye, you know, not, not only like as far as like my connection to the universe, but um, on a team. And I mean, I visual eye. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I, I know what you mean. No, no, I do know what you mean. And uh, oh, okay. I, say, yeah. I, I, I'm not on a team. You know what I mean? I, I'm a, I'm always part of a collective, and I would say, my wife Jessica, Depotzi has an incredible eye for aesthetic and branding. She's a marketer. Okay. Um, so n some of it is me, and probably most of it is her. If I'm, mm -hmm. if I, like, I want to say, oh yeah, yeah, it's me, but it's like, it's really, it's the yeah. honest here, Jeff, you're just trying to get the, the kudos here. Um, but then, you know, for, for individual branding, it's, it's an interesting word branding, you know, because mm -hmm. in essence, that's as you discover yourself, you're branding yourself, you know, you're figuring out what's your flavors. What do you like? You know, how does that fit? What about my environment? Cause my, my individuality is going to be different than yours, right? Your, your, your taste for life and how you experience is different. And that's good. That level of individuality is awesome mm -hmm. because the closer you are to your own individuality, the healthier it is for me being an individual as if you are isolated in time and space without others is where we kind of run into a problem. Um, but right here on my arm, I don't know if you can see that. Okay. So anyways, they're, they're Chinese hexagrams and they're from the gene keys. And, um, 
you know, we're, we're, we, we dabble with all kinds of esoteric um, wisdom, alchemy, astrology, yes. anything that falls under spirituality, old religion, mythopoetic stuff, you know, Jungian, it, it does it, all of it all the way mm -hmm. up to, you know, Freudian Rogers psychology, positive psychology. We're not scared to go there, but these ones here, um, it's a book called Gene Keys written by, Keys. um, yeah, Gene Keys by an author, Richard Rudd, who I believe is the greatest poet of all time, but he's still living. He, he his, his book is just amazing. And, and when I say poet, don't think normal poetry, think poetry, a poet is someone who has divine inspiration, whatever you want to call that, whether it's whole brain thinking, deep intuition, you know, transcending skill into art, what, however, um, and he wrote this book, Gene Keys, and he based it on a lot of ancient philosophies. And one of them is the Chinese I Ching. That's why there's 64 hexagrams that represent each key. Now, these are my keys. And they're, you know, all the keys are part of our psychology and physiology. But it really starts to help you understand when you're projecting from a place of fear, or like a, he calls it a shadow state, or when you start projecting from higher states um gift and then eventually into what they call the siddic state which is from indian mm -hmm. philosophies you know vedic and stuff like that um and what that does though is it starts as soon as you notice your projection when it's especially when it's negative you're like you start to well you should start to embody the next level of that like okay i'm allowed to feel that emotion of anger but when i project it like garbage you know that's 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 the stage of it and this really just highlights when you're in this state, your shadow projects like this so that it gives you an awareness like, oh, okay, my shadow is like that. Mm -hmm. But then as you move up into gift states and acidic states, you start to see who you are more, which is in essence branding. You know what I mean? Like I, I wear natural um, fibered clothes as I move into that state because if I wear unnatural, my skin feels it. You know, I start to feel these kinds of things when I, and I, and I tailor my environment like that. Oh yeah, this doesn't suit me. This doesn't feel right. And you start to notice things that you would never imagine put your body into an insecure state that, that start to trigger your nervous system in a negative way. Well, not negative, but in a stressful way. And it's not like if I put on rayon pants, I go into a panic. It's just if I, if I don't sleep and I put on, you know, uh, like a mm -hmm. nylon pant, and I am in an unnatural light, you know, I can start to feel it way. And then I can catch my negative projections, you know, and it's not just my childhood patterning. It's actually my environment interacting with me in that moment, because we're, that relationship between environment and personality equals behavior. Um, you know, we talked about tuning up personality earlier. And how that can shift that perception, right? Because what will happen is your belief system, the upper layer of your filtration can project that back in. And, and anyways, that's the catch though. Mm -hmm. Instead of it just being a loop that plays out, sometimes known as a stereotype, um, you catch it and you shift it. You get insight from it and then you eventually embody it. And that's how you start moving towards creating your world that is you around you right to the aesthetic level of it. You know, you simplify, you simplify the things that you want around you. And that doesn't mean it's, there's no complexity to it. It doesn't mean that it's, it's not, you know, high in technology, but it's, you don't bring in the, the noise anymore. Yeah. When you stop bringing in the noise, it fits very well for you, you know? Totally.
back in the day, um, we all go down paths that we're not proud of. And we represent today the paths that we are proud of. So when you hit tier one or join the military, these are things that you're proud of. All the other things we start suppressing, that shadow. How did you end up facing those things to make peace with the past and still allow it to be who you are today? Because oftentimes, you know, again, Instagram, it can, it can be a highlight reel or it can be truthful and, and open up a conversation and a dialogue. Yeah, um, we're kind of facing that right now um, because we usually have pretty decently produced stuff um, and it, it doesn't have enough, you know, kind of stank on it to resonate. You know what I mean? Like people don't necessarily want to see the, the highlight reel all the time. You know, it's it's both, I, I would say, you know, you, you got to see that there is hope, there is joy, there is love, there is good family, there's good efforts, there's success in business and stuff like that. Um, I two things i like to use the term resolve and dissolve so when someone goes into the post-traumatic growth cycle which means they go into a deep insecure stress state and then they come out of it on the other end now they can come out nothing has changed unscathed but they haven't grown they haven't diminished in any way they come out they could move into what's called an ill coping state um, sometimes known as a post-traumatic state times are they don't pull out of that and they move into a stress disorder and that can be a downwards mm. spiral. You, you know, with the end of the line, we'll call it suicide, but all the things that are a problem in life when you're not living. On the other hand, we have growth. And what happens is those events, there's no such thing as an event in isolation. You know, right now you and I are having an event, but there's also the events I had this morning and you know, that they're, they're all over, right? We're constantly making sense of reality. And I don't mean drawing meaning, just like, okay, where, where am I fitting? Do I need, do I need to, and I call that resolving and dissolving. And that is a physical principle of the universe. To resolve means to bring in and incorporate, just like we talked about that sun and the nebula, bringing in more, and then the magic that happens from that. And then every now and then, the star blows up and it dissolves and it returns. So what we have to do is we have to, delaminate our experience from emotion right because if you sit on a moment in time that's like you're not proud of and you, and you may have regret around it and you haven't incorporated the growth from it right like you 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 i don't even have a really oh, a, a drinking and driving experience okay mm -hmm. not the worst thing in the world but it could be off you know pretty it could be a bad day for people you move past that and then you if you continue to drink and you don't change the behaviors that created that circumstance there, which takes time to map out, right? Because that could go all the way back to, oh man, that one moment in my childhood began a bit of a cascade that would allow me to put myself in a situation like that. Now it's very, you know, life is so, there's not a line like that beautifully, but all those moments that start to happen that you're, like you said, less than proud of, you have to start to either dissolve them out of your memory which is, you know, when it comes to brainwaves, it's like a gamma burst. It's a high energy thing, especially uh, it can be very confusing because it's like shedding skin, right? It's burning off the droves. It, it, it literally can be painful because now you might be feeling, we'll say the guilt that exists around that moment. And when you actually feel guilt, when you literally let it vibrate through your system, it's powerful. It's supposed to be powerful. So you don't do that again, you know? Um, 
Shame, guilt. Yeah, it's paralysis at its finest. Yeah. It, it, at its finest, right? It's supposed to be there so that we're like, whoa, okay, I need to see, am I right or am I wrong? And I, I don't really want to call it right or wrong, but does this serve me or not? Does it serve others or not? Does it disconnect me from myself and others? Because if it disconnects you, then it's probably not a good thing. If it connects you deeper with you yourself and with other people, then it's probably a good thing. Either it happened and it's, because I, I believe all events, you know, we're, we're the post-traumatic growth people. We believe that all events can be turned into gold. Some will be harder, especially when people lose their trust in the universe and other people. You know, when um, someone does something to you and it's relative, but that completely shatters your trust in reality. Mm -hmm. That's where it gets tricky, right? Um, one, you're in danger of being blocked by the ego. My drinking and driving uh, example I could just bury that away and say that, oh, it was this person's fault and that fault. And you know what I mean? Like you, you, your ego is putting up a block, but on the other side, someone else's ego has put up a block for you. And normally that journey is inwards, right? So you asked about when did this happen for me? It, it, it was a constant affair, but then I started to build up my architectural language, how I build my own neurological map of reality. I started doing things like shadow work. I started understanding that the values that I live by weren't necessarily the ones I chose. I thought I chose them, but it wasn't. I, it was a product of um, like, I had really great parents, but they handed me down some wounds around money, around my work ethic, not that they handed down poor work ethic. It was just, I was working myself to the bone and it was because that's what you do. You work really hard. And I was like, okay, well, that's not really serving me. I don't feel happy in this mixture. I got to adjust that, right? Where do, where does 35-year-old Jeff's value sit? Where does 40-year-old Jeff's value sit? And that's my, my ability to program from the top down, if you will, through the brain down, you know, thoughts, emotions, and then impulses. And then that'll start to shift that attention we spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. Um and Jeff, but how it, old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 41 now. You're 41. And, um, okay. What I would say is this, Zach, it very, <laughs> there's a couple of things that are great indicators that people need to do work. One is they like to point the finger. If you point the finger outside at the mm -hmm. world, you know, the, the, the environment does want to influence you. It does, you know what I mean? But it, what is that doing to you and your projections? So start going inwards. Um, and the other thing is this, and this is, if you think you're there, as in, like kind of perfect being, or I don't need to change anything. That's a great indicator that your body is probably in some state of overwhelm where it doesn't want to change. Because when you expand, when you move into a thriving mindset, you want to start to filter these things more. Um, but a kind of like a, not a caution. It gets hard to push yourself out of the old skin. You know, yeah. the, the, the ego fights back. It's that's its job. It's a defense mechanism. It's got to ask, is this right for me? Is this where I want to go? And it's directly in competition to the self trying to manifest. And it, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think individuation, you know, self-transcendence, expansion of consciousness can be done on purpose. I completely disagree with that. I think the conditions can be set. I can't say, yeah, you know what, Zach, we'll move you from, and not you, I'm just from sure. this low vibrational state into an enlightened state forever. You know, we can do that quickly with plant medicine, 
and you know that, that that's one of this is part of that ego danger right people taste a higher stage of consciousness that's why they usually get addicted to patterns the microburst of a higher state of consciousness even if you want to call it like a satiated serotonin high level state of consciousness becomes addictive right oh i mean how else could you become like a heroin addict on a street you know it's because mm -hmm. every time you get that boost it's like that's my higher state of consciousness so you get addicted to it what the the fallacy is though is that i am that higher state of consciousness you have to do the work, you know, you get to taste it, but then you have to get in the underworld now. And then you have to you get to taste it. You get in the underworld. If you stay flatline, you just become super bored. And that becomes the rub because that ability to love, to feel hope, joy is, I believe mirrored by its counterpart, which is, you know, the depths of depression and sadness. Um, what happens is then you get to navigating it better. So where we run into issues is it usually comes into direct conflict with the nat or the cycles. Our natural cycles come into conflict with man-made cycles. You know, the nine to five, five days mm -hmm. a week cycle, the, you only get this time off and this time off. And it's like, well, we interact with the celestial planets around us. We interact with, you know, solar flares we interact with all kinds of energies that we don't really actually incorporate and just seasons you know in canada we got seasonal affective disorder like that's a medically documented thing that once the sun starts going away people are going to start feeling more down but we don't we don't have the system set up yet to honor those cycles you know it's like no you got to press through and just keep working you know you got to like because we've created a money-based society and, and i'm not hacking it or anything it's just as you're exploring these things you want to resolve and dissolve, these start to become some of the factors that play into it. And let's face it, most people are working. They have families to take care of. You know, they have these things that it, they can't stop right today or survival stops for them and potentially their family, you know, and potentially for a business. And so a lot collapses. So that's where it gets tricky. That's where I think people start running into midlife crises and stuff like that. Um, how, how did you know that you want more to life what was your why or how did you figure out your why in life because to be honest jeff I, I struggle with that at times you know oh zach you're a podcaster but you do marketing but you do this how do you and do i want to put myself in a box probably not oh, I, yeah with so yeah it's, it's a great question right it is the i don't even know like sometimes I wonder, should we just scratch why from the five W's, you know, <laughs> get that out of there. But I, I, I love that one because that's, that's the deep realm of philosophy. Um, I, I, I get this, the, the, the issue with a pigeonholing yourself. You know what I mean? That's why I like, I, I, I like Rick Alexander. He's a guy I work with a lot. Uh, he uses values. You know, you have like five or six values, mm. things that you truly value as your metric for how you're living your life. And they'll change. They'll change because you're going to change. You're going to change on a cellular level. You're going to change on an experiential level. Um, so you have to adapt them every now and then, you know. But doesn't it become very generic? Like you'll go on a corporate website and they'll say, honesty, integrity. Yeah. So, so those are not like those are those are. Yeah, they're called values. Yeah. But what you really start to value is your time. You start to value health. Things like on a deeper level, you start to value learning and knowledge. You start to value your connection to the universe, whatever that looks like for you. You know, those are really the things that we try to earn money 
to attempt to do, right? To, to experience life. Um, so yeah, they can become very generic, but the key to that is your language set, right? As you expand the words that you can use and get rid of the ones that may not, like obviously integrity and honesty are important. Those are, oh, those yeah. are gift level. Two of my gene keys are integrity, in fact, but it's what is integrity? Well, integrity is understanding where you fit in the whole system and asking yourself, do I stay here? Do it, is this, isn't, is this my integrity? Do I stay as this pillar, this link in this chain? So it's not just, um, your word, which is important, but if I say something to you and I say, Zach, I'm going to show up for this podcast at this time. If that doesn't happen, that doesn't mean my word's not good. No. You know what I mean? Things happen, right? Um, so they do become limited, but to go back to the why, cause that is a fantastic question, you know? It's actually the question that we torture ourselves for the answer, I think, the most. And I can tell you this, like for me, it, it was a combination of many things. You know, it, it was reading, it was listening to other people speak. It was seeking out truth. And truth is, it's easy to detect once you start listening for it. It's what resonates with you. It doesn't matter the actual words, the intellectual words. It'll begin to resonate with you. You're like, oh, that feels true. You know, that feels true. And then as you continue to seek what feels true, what sounds true, what looks true, your truth begins to grow. Sometimes that growth is actually the removal of things that don't serve you, right? You boil it down more and it's like, um, like that. Going into the shadows. So the shadows is patterns that don't serve you. Those can come from your genetics, your epigenetics and overall cultural conditioning you know so there's a not to mention what mom and dad did not to mention what happened in grade eight you know all those things that create sparks that create divergence from you okay when you come out as a baby you're undifferentiated consciousness you are not separate from the universe then we come into a world that boils us down to our individual self and then we have to find our individuality um plant medicines that are natural such as uh ayahuasca, daime, um, bufo. DMT. Uh, yeah. So daime, ayahuasca, bufo, those are all basically DMT. Okay, they're okay. natural, naturally occurring. Okay. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm always a fan of natural versus synthetic whenever possible, but yeah, they are DMTs. Now DMTs are released during REM sleep. You know, they're released at other times, but usually most people's pineals are a little bit blocked. They're calcified. Uh, we have fluoride in our water and some people are like, oh, fluoride conspiracy, but it's, it's true. It's, it's a hyper amount of fluoride that we're putting in our body that binds to certain parts of our neural anatomy. And that slows down how the pineal releases. So does lack of sleep. So does improper nutrition. And, and so right there, your own natural and what DMT I think does, it, it has a couple really cool factors is it moves your brain into a high entropy state, which allows your neurons in essence to try to fire together in creative new ways. So when you're making sense of your reality, instead of it being this, this lockdown feeling, it opens it up, you know, like an abstract dream, a REM dream, like we've all had them and it's like, well, okay, what happened there? Usually if you have a true REM dream, the next day you feel better. It's actually shown. That if you go through a traumatic event, whether it's a disaster or circumstantial, like someone else like raped someone or whatnot, if you get into deep sleep that night, you're like 70% like less likely to develop PTSD. 
if you don't get into it that night, but the next night, it's like another, you know, you have like a 40% chance just getting into REM sleep because your body has this beautiful mechanism for being like, okay, I, in my conscious thought, I don't know how to make sense of this reality, right. but when I start putting it like this, oh, okay, I resolve it into my consciousness. The other way we can do that, which has been explored extensively, is through experience. So if we look at most of the great sages, you know, the Buddha, Moses, most of them have had a near-death experience to receive revelation. Because I, I think this is just the world according to Jeff. As you are starting to move, you know, whether it's an animal attacking you or you're, you know, you haven't had nutrients or um, even old age, some of the things that come on with disease, your mind gets flooded with DMT. And I think it's, it's two things. I think it's to help you transition to a new energetic state. But I also think it's a last ditch attempt to go, do I have a solution in this bank somewhere? And can I craft it in a creative fast way? Right. Cause you know, when we have a, a deep DM DMT dream or experience with plant medicine, so much happens so quick, right? So much, so fast. Like we're able to create and dissolve at the speed of thought. So I think it's also got that survival mechanism and that, that brings us into the, the, the power of experience. You know, when someone uh, is on a personal quest to summon a mountain, usually their bodies, you know, we train and do these things, but why it really gets addictive is because you start moving towards these near-death experiences, I think. And in those near-death experiences has the power for deep personal revelation. You know, like, oh man, I never thought about this or I appreciate this so much more. I'm more spiritually connected and that's post-traumatic growth in its essence. Mm -hmm. And experience can do that. You know, um, it, adversity is one of the greatest teachers there is. Um, so to go back, Zach, I, I kind of circled around it a little bit, but if you have to put yourself outside your comfort zone, um, you, you can train to help get there. And then you, after action that, you know, like that cycle baseline, post-traumatic growth kind of cycle. And then afterwards, it's a, it's a replaying cycle that happens all the time, but you intentionally move into those spaces mm. and naturally just 100% unarguably naturally will happen as the next crumb will be left. And then the next crumb will be left, you know, and you follow those crumbs closer and closer to yourself. And for me, um, I was down in Costa Rica in January this year. And um, my wife was um, training with a shaman. Um, and I don't throw that word around loosely. Shaman you know, semantically is a lot of things, but a shaman is one who can show you God, whatever that turns out to be. You know, I, I'm not going to, you can't describe that. It's that's why we've been trying. And we, uh, I'd gone a couple times to help, help myself along in my transitions. And this time we did combo, which is, um, it's burnt into your skin. It's a frog. Basically it's the frog sunscreen, but it's bioavailable. Your body doesn't treat it like a toxin. It helps drain your lymphatic system. It's really beautiful. Pharmaceutical companies have been trying to create the peptide and in a way, kind of beautiful irony, they can't because once again, mother nature can do things we can't do. And then we had a daime, which is an ayahuasca derivative. It's basically just pure vine and leaf um, handled by a church, the Church of Santo Daime in Brazil. So it's, it's one of the few places you can get a consistent brew, if you will. 
Um, you know, when we talked about the variables of plants, but then a couple of days later, I did uh, my first and only time doing Bufo and Bufo is from the Snore and Toad. Um, I actually, I'd seen a few of them, my place in the desert in Phoenix, I'd seen these big toads or monsters. Um, and again, it's, it's more of a defense mechanism and it's what's called 5-MeO-DMT and it's very quick. And this doesn't happen every time because I did other things that brought me into higher states of consciousness and then I went into battle and then right. lower states, you know, but this time during Bufo, I can only describe it and as, yeah, we can look at it like neurologically. I could, I could sit down and have this discussion neurologically, but it doesn't do it justice. I, I would say I knelt before God. That's how I would describe it. And I felt for the first time through my entire body, my resonance, my why, and how that shows up for me. And, you know, most people like in the grail myths open up the Holy grail or whatever the chest and the light either kills them or it doesn't. And I think that's what it, they're kind of alluding to, you know, you have this near death experience. Cause that's five MEO kind of mirrors mimics that, you know, you're not actually dying um, because it's bioavailable. It's not a toxin. Um, and then you experience this thing and you either your ego can't face it or it does. And you fully see yourself. And it's cool because what it feels like is when you, when you sit really still, you can start to feel your impulses and your emotions and your thoughts, right? That's, that's kind of the essence of theta meditation. But when you start to like shut down certain layers, you start to get more and more clarity. And then there's like this like seventh layer, if you will. It's almost like the homunculus of you, your, your soul, where it sits and it gets to kind of speak for the first time um, fully. And once that's presented to you, when that moment happens, wherever it happens, you know, in suffering, climbing a mountain, plant medicine, meditation, tantra, whatever, that question goes away. The specifics of it don't because we have a myriad of choices, right? Um, yeah, this is Jeff Depati's path. Um, how do I get there is is a different story. I, I, I do got to say that that question, I wish someone could have told me when I was young, mm -hmm. don't pressure yourself with it. I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that for me. I wish, yeah. you know, because nowadays it's like, well, what do you want to be? Uh, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, this, that. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I'm barely able to pick my nose yet. You know what I mean? Like, don't ask me that question. I, I'm not even me yet. How am I? You know, so we, we tangle with it lots. And now in this environment of hyper competitivity, you know, with option after op, it's like, okay, it gets a, you know, you can lose that patience or not patient. You feel the pressure of it. Right. I don't know. Do I need to put myself in this pigeonhole, pigeonhole myself? Well, I think that's, um, when I was 33, I wouldn't have had that level of humility um to to say that but to actually have the awareness to be like jeff you, you you don't know you know what i mean like that's a beautiful sentiment and it's okay it, it's act when we start looking at the nature of things around us we don't really know we have these collected groupings of facts like a, a meter is this long or whatever but is that based on um some kind of scale that shrinks over time is that like the speed of light through a vacuum it changes because our truth and our knowledge as a species change, not just a meter, right? Wherever we put an equal sign, it changes, you know, these things evolve, like the concept of zero. There's nowhere in the universe where there's nothing. 
There's gravitational forces working on you all the time. So the, uh, the idea of an absolute. Uh, just doesn't exist, does it? It might not exist, you know? It, it, and so when you ask that, like, do I know? I think the, the question is really actually the important part, you know, to, to tug, to keep tugging along, like, okay, I'll try the, I'll do some podcast. Oh, this feels right. Okay. And then you learn something along the way and it's like, oh, well, that feels right. And you got to trust it, right? Because we can talk ourselves out of something really easily, especially when we start weighing financial gain versus non-financial gain. A lot of people sacrifice things they're passionate about in order for more monetary gain. And and I get it. it it's the we're so pressured by it. Um, and it is well, it's the only truly globalized system, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's 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 amazing. That that to me is light years ahead of the game. Um, and then I did, I did want to mention this because you asked about, you know, big catalysts of change over time. Mm -hmm. When I fell in love with my wife, um, my brain, you, you can call it a hormonal flood. You can call it whatever you want, but it literally felt like it was being opened up. And I actually learned how to experience these new emotions that I hadn't. And that alone, what was the scope of how it changed me was just beautiful but it allowed me to fill my container with new thoughts and projections and perceptions in, in a rate that I'd never experienced before um, because you don't fight against them. The ego, your implicit biases want to filter those out quickly. They don't usually want to send them up to your prefrontal cortex that much. Um, you know, it happens often where we get new info and ah, no, I can't do that because we don't have the space. So we got to create the space to allow this new, information to come in to learn to embody it you know for the next day and the next day before we get going here jeff thanks for your time today where did you yeah, yeah buddy where did you get this knowledge for entrepreneurship and you know we hear complacency is a silent killer you started with sfe and i'm sure other things that maybe didn't even come to fruition but the ideas were there and now you're with citizen green how does this does this all keep happening who gave you that vision that vision the the chain of events that have led to me being me like I, I can't really um i'm 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 i interact with the universe you want to call it god you want to call it spirit you want to call it just the universe you want to call it physical reality you know whatever i feel there's an exchange there like you like it's showing right we're quantumly entangled well if we're quantumly entangled then that means energy is moving between those things and um that means ideas are floating around that means thoughts are there for us to listen to even if there are our own meandering thoughts you know if it starts to fill someone with passion and joy fill your life with joy you know tug at those threads it'll naturally start to happen because that path towards individuality yourself will attract other people you know that it's like Start where you are, use what you have, yeah. do what you can and repeat, you know, and, and be, try to be in the present sometimes too, you know, um, on a kind of more scientific note, consciousness right. is about taking your past experiences, receiving the feedback loops that are going on all around you to predict the future in order for you to live in the present. It's when we get stuck too far in the past or in the future that we really move away from authenticity. 
it's not that we can't shouldn't go there now right. and then um the, the art of contemplation and rumination does that you pendulum between them um to feel that out and you know underpinning it things like patience those virtuous words we talked about mm -hmm. you know start weighing them start saying am i living my actual values what floats my boat you know it's it's pretty simple i mean it's the same message that's been made yeah. you know said for a while do it does do those weigh against my actions do my actions nurture those and if it doesn't you really got to start asking do i got to chop that do i got to chop that or do i actually not value this and reassess and that's a really good um mm -hmm. roadmap for that yeah. path that quest because that's the greatest quest there is to totally. find yourself yeah. i feel like if we ever found ourselves that would just be boring life would be boring you know we're just yeah ego right yeah. i'm good at, i'm good yeah. the way i am yeah yeah well so what you do is you stay between master and servant you're always servant to something you, you become a master like you build skills that you can pass on, build skills that you can pass on, you know, whether it's for monetary exchange or not, mm -hmm. um, wisdom passed on, but you're always in service to something greater than yourself. Um, that's in essence the Bodhisattva. Instead of checking out into pure nirvana, you keep your hands plunged in the muck of reality in order to help it settle um, maybe in a more holistic way, a more intentional way. Um, you know. Sure. Jeff, if somebody wants to be a part of SFE uh, serial six or seven, how can they do so? And speaking of seven, is that the number initially that we talked about because it's the seventh layer? Is that why it's meaningful for you? Uh, so there's there's a few things. It's, it's a pretty interesting number if you tug it apart. But for me, um, we have another program that's in the hopper called the Pilgrimage, and it goes through um, John's revelations, the seven sacred seals. And you know, so a lot of people think you know, this is semantics, but mm -hmm. that John's revelations is like this apocalyptic doom. And really, I think what it is, is as human beings transcend the seven layers of consciousness, yeah, the old world will dissipate and move away. Um, and but the the revelation will be the new paradigm for which our psychic pillars are formed on, which will be like Jesus talked about love based. Not, and I'm not I'm not a Christian or anything like that. But yeah, so we, we were dabbling with, you know, okay, we'll do 10 total. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you know, let's just do seven. I, I like that number. And then it just, boom, my body loses its tension. It feels right. I listen to it and the next oh, thing yeah. is going to come along, you know? Yeah. Seven's an important number for me as well. Because uh, yeah. August 7th, 2019, my mom passed away. So seven. Oh. So I'm like, ah, it just, it sticks with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also um, roughly give or take every seven years, you go through a full cellular recycling. I hear, yeah. You know, like, so there's these things that, you know, it's a nice number, but yeah, if anyone wants uh, to head down the mm -hmm. rabbit hole, they can check out the special force experience.com and uh, information on citizen green. If you know any veterans, please send the veterans there or family of veterans to help them start uh, becoming part of the community. Sure. This will be no, the citizen greens, no cost to the vets. Um, yeah. What's and then the if website citizengreen.ca. No, no, everything's housed at the special forces experience.com for now. Um, and um, yeah, they can check out the process there uh, and they can come be part of a pretty extraordinary network of people. And then, uh, yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, Jeff, for today. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was great connecting, Zach, and uh, you have a great day as well.